make a, a quick announcement before we get into our text today. Um, at this time of year, we always give an invitation and an opportunity for people to prayerfully consider uh, becoming an official member of Christ Church Oceanside. And so what we do is we ask you to ask a few questions. It doesn't show up super great on the screen this morning. Um, but the first set of questions is this. Is, in answering the question, is CCO my home church? We want you to ask five things. Number one, um, do I want Jesus' way to be my way? That that's kind of the decision that you're coming to. Maybe you've been a part of other churches and other places. Maybe you are new to the faith. But what we're looking for is that the message that's being preached and that you're learning about and that you're growing in resonates with you and you say, I want this way to be my way. The second question we want you to ask of yourself is, do I feel safe here? That we know many of you have come from different church experiences that were the opposite of safe, that were actually hard or painful or very disappointing. And as you've come here, you'll notice that we prioritize not you serving, not you getting involved, not carrying tons of responsibility. What we prioritize is you finding Jesus and healing and restoring with Jesus. We want you to find all the benefits that are on offer through the way of Jesus for the parts of your story that you need it most. So in discerning whether or not this is home, you're not only answering, okay, do I want to follow the way of Jesus? But also, does this feel like the place for me to do this? The third thing is then to assess, am I growing with Jesus in this church? And this is, if you talk to me in your first couple of weeks here, you would have heard me say, we're glad to have you. We love that you're here. But if this doesn't feel like home for you, if you're not growing in your faith here, we will help you find a place you can do that. There's a lot of great churches in our region, and we would help you get connected to that church because we want you to grow with Jesus more than we even want you to be a member of this church. Not because you're not valuable, not because we don't want you, not because we don't love you, but because we prioritize your growth with Jesus. Make sense? The next one is, do you find yourself going, I believe in the message. I believe in the vision here, and I believe in the culture that's being built in this community, and I want to be a part of that. Right? That last piece is, I'm feeling ready to share in building this. And the goal is, because for many of us who've come from different church expressions and different places, one of the things we don't want to do is try and transport the vision of our last place to this place. Sometimes we can carry with us our expectations of the past church that we were in. And we're like, I actually want everything I had in my last church, but without the things that made me mad. And then we kind of put that on our next church and go, hopefully this church can do that. What we want is an authentic hearing that you've heard the vision, you've heard the message that we're a part of, you see the culture we're trying to build, and you're saying, I want to be a part of that new thing. 
that this is what this church is and this is what I'm buying into. And so we want to give you an opportunity to do that over the next couple of weeks. So February 18th, I believe, Patty's going to reinforce the dates in case I'm wrong. We'll do like a new member service where we welcome you. There's many people over the last year who've said to me, hey, I'm ready to be a new member. And I have said, great, now I'm going to fulfill that. We'll do the service where we'll welcome you. Um, But here's the things that we need from you in order to be a member. The first is you need to be 18 years of age. You need to agree with our declaration of the faith. Um, So the values that we hold to and the centrality of the gospel. You have to have been baptized. So if you have not yet been baptized, um, I'm going to be communicating some opportunity for that around Easter. I know a lot of you have come to me saying either I want to be baptized or I want my, ba- my kids to be baptized. We're going to give some opportunity around that in the Easter season. You must have been here for six months at least. Um, pretty consistent attendance. Now, what that means is you're allowed to miss a Sunday. Nobody's getting mad at you for that. Um, but just generally consistent over the last six months. And then the last piece, so what you would do is you'd email our office, which is Karen, so office at ChristChurchOceanside.ca, and say, I and my spouse or whatever would like to become members. And then that goes to our council, where we just confirm that there to go, yeah, this person has been coming. Um, They seem like they're really authentically bought in to the way of Jesus, and we'd love to accept them as members. Okay? So take some time to pray about that over the next couple of weeks. We need, if you want to get in on that, we need to know by the 4th. So February 4th, which is a couple of weeks from now, and then we'll confirm you on the 18th. So those of you that have been here for you know a year or so um, and are ready for this, let us know. You can let me know or you can email into the office um, and we'd love to celebrate that kind of next step that you're ready to take in the journey here. Okay? Okay, let's get into our text today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 11. If you don't bring your Bible, you should. I love you, but you should. Okay? Because it's good to have. It's good to see it. It's good to write in the margins. It's good to make it your own. Um, So Matthew chapter 11, we're doing a series here called Come to Me, which is all about Jesus' famous invitation um, to the world to come to him as the way, the way of healing and redemption and to, and to receive him wholeheartedly. And that's what we want in this next couple of weeks is we want to give that invitation from Jesus and to walk through this text together. I think what I'm finding as all these years go on and as I devote more of my life to this I find this offer of relief and rest that for those who adopt His way and accept Jesus as their, um, not just their mentor, but their Savior, their Lord, that what we find in Him is this peace that He communicates in this text, that He is gentle and lowly of heart. Has anyone ever had a mentor that's the opposite of that? Ever worked for somebody, had a boss, 
who's the opposite of gentle and lowly in heart? Have you ever tried to learn under someone like that? The intensity of it? Do you feel like you learn a lot? Or do you just find yourself going, I'm just generally fearful of getting in trouble, right? It's that intensity. Jesus is saying that following Him is the opposite of that. That He works with the deep inner parts of who you are. And what we find is that following Jesus is the more human way, the more natural way to live. Because His way is not burdensome or heavy. That's the way He describes Himself. Now last week, we looked at Jesus' grief for those who hear and see Him as the way of healing and redemption, but receive Him kind of half-heartedly and without devoting their whole life to Him. Jesus then goes on to say in the words we looked at then that the half-hearted believer will be judged actually more severely at the final judgment because they've seen the true nature of God in Jesus and they've experienced his saving love but have chosen to continue living with parts of their lives separate from him where they continue to do it on their own and in their own way and without him this week what we're going to see is who Jesus says the way is for so who does God reveal his way to and who does God hide the way from. So take a minute to just take that in. Who does God love to reveal the way to? And who does God actually hide His way from? And why does it appeal so strongly to some and yet is so despised by other people? Those seem like some fun questions today. Okay, so verse 25 is where we'll pick that up. At that time Jesus declared... I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding. So here, Jesus thanks the Father for revealing the way to some and hiding it from other people. I don't have a lot to say about this piece, but I just found myself this morning going, do I find myself thankful about that? Jesus sees that God reveals it to some and hides it from others and thanks God for that. I'm not quite there yet, but I want to get to that point where I see it so clearly. So if we take that in, God is intentionally hiding himself from some people. So who is he hiding himself from? Jesus says, from the wise and the understanding. What does that mean? The self-assured? Is it the educated? Is it the seemingly wise of our day? Those who think that they have it all figured out. And where does Jesus hide? Where does God hide the way from them? How does he hide it from them? I think he hides it behind their confidence, their pride, their wisdom, their understanding. Because it's difficult to be confident in the way of Jesus if you're already confident in something else. There just isn't room for your heart to trust in multiple things. So why does God do this? I think the first thing is that God 
works with, not against, human free will. Or we could say agency. So your ability to choose, God works with that. He gave you that. And He works with it. He honors it, especially the choices that you make. I actually, from what I've seen in the Gospels, I think Jesus presses people into their convictions. He actually wants them to wrestle at a very deep level with what do I believe and what do I think and what do I trust in. And Jesus actually pushes you deeper into that space. And what we see in the Gospels is then some people discover that what they've been trusting isn't good enough and they want Him instead. And some people get really, really convinced of what they're trusting in, enough to angrily reject Jesus. Even though he's doing obviously good things, they feel threatened by him to the point where they hate him. And I think Jesus does that on purpose. I think he pushes us to those deep places to go, what have you chosen? What do you actually believe? What do you actually trust in? The second reason I think this happens is because in doing so, Jesus lets us put the full weight and the full value and all of our need onto these human ideologies or these wisdoms or these means of salvation. I think God wants us to to see for ourselves whether or not those things work to help us the way we want them. And then in doing so, we see whether or not it's worth our trust. Whether it's trustworthy or whether it's faithful. And then the third thing is this. I think His grace allows us to experience the failure or insufficiency of these other ways of wisdom. And these other ways of meaning. Jackie and I were talking a bit about this this week. That we work with people who desire change. My wife's a counselor and me as a pastor. We sit and talk with people all the time who go, this is where my life's at and it's hard and it's terrible and it's difficult and I want it to change. Does anyone know that feeling? Right, so we, that's a pretty consistent feeling. But then when we get down to it, we have the conversation, we ask the questions, it comes down to, do you want to change the way you're doing it? Do you want to change what you're trusting in? Do you want to change the way you think and the way you act and the way you do things? And the answer usually comes to, or I shouldn't say usually, often comes to no. So I don't like the results of the way I'm living. I don't like the way I'm feeling. But I don't want to change the way I'm doing it. I just want the results to be different. Does anyone see themselves in that? I see myself in that. I think that's part of the grace of God is to go, you have to want something different. You have to see the need for something different. And so it leads us to this question then. Who does God reveal Himself to? If He hides Himself intentionally from the self-assured, from the self-confident, from the self-sufficient. If that's what God does, He actually hides the good news from people in that situation. Who does He 
reveal Himself to? Who does He reveal the good way to? The second part of verse 25, Jesus says this, He reveals them to little children. Now, this is an analogy that Jesus uses a lot. This idea of being a child. Does it mean the Gospel is only for kids and not for adults? Kind of. Let me explain. Jesus is talking about the state of the heart or the state of the soul. There are those whose heart is like that of a child. And the heart of a child is what? Trusting, dependent, humble, ready and open to receive. So the heart of a child is defined by the need that they have in their parents. Now let me ask this other question. What is most annoying about your children or grandchildren? (laughs) When they presume to think that they are adults. That's the most annoying thing my children can do. Oh, there is one here. (laughs) Is when they're in a state of total dependence in reality, but functionally they think they don't need that dependence and instead want independence. Isn't that frustrating? Whether it's your kid or your grandkids or somebody else's kid. The point is is that that's, that's the frustrating piece. So a true healthy-hearted child is going to be trustful, is going to be dependent, is going to be the opposite of self-sufficient. Because that's, that's, that's the true heart of the child. So what's the opposite of the heart, of a childlike heart, is the heart of an adult. And the heart of an adult is made up of primarily self-sufficiency. We think we should be able to take care of ourselves Entirely. This is what the Father wants. Is He wants, if He's going to be God, if He's going to be Father, then the heart of the people has to be that of children. If God's going to reveal Himself to be primarily that, out of all the Bible and all the names of God, the name that Jesus reveals God wants is Father then the heart of the people, of the believer, of the follower, should fundamentally be child. And as a follower of Jesus matures, do they become less child? Are you asleep? Should you grow out of that childlike dependence as a follower of Jesus? Do we see that in Jesus? Does Jesus grow out of His... Intimacy and dependence upon the Father? Never. In all of what we see revealed of Jesus in the Gospels, He never grows out of His dependence on the Father. And this is what Jesus is getting at. That's, those are the people to whom He wants to reveal Himself as Father. And here's what this does, though. This makes Jesus good news to exhausted people who are tired of trying to do it on their own. 
Is that good news to hear of a Father who wants to be with you, care for you, fulfill you, provide for you, be enough for you? Is that good news? On the flip side, this is incredibly disruptive to the intensely driven and hustle-obsessed person. Isn't it? The idea that God is Father and wants to care for you, wants you to slow down and trust Him, wants you to depend on Him in a hustle culture, is terrible news. It's the opposite of good news, isn't it? It's annoying news. The last thing I want when I'm trying to get it done and be a success and work hard and accomplish these great things is an overbearing parent. Doesn't sound like good news when you live that way, does it? But here's the thing. Hustle culture is a prison designed for the strong. I think evil hijacks and manipulates that divine image that's meant to dream and meant to visioneer and meant to accomplish great things because we are created to be these like co-laborers with God. We're meant to have dominion over the earth with God in the garden. This idea that we would work with God to create beautiful, great things. That's a God-given piece as image bearers to work with Him to do great things. But evil hijacks that, manipulates it, and convinces you that you need to do those things to be loved. You need to do those things to be valuable. You need to achieve those things. And that you need to actually ascend and be your own God, taking care of your own things, doing it your own way. And it's a trap. Because now you're in the role where your job is is to sustain all things, build all things, conquer all things, and earn all things. What happens when you hurt yourself? What happens when you get tired? What happens when you have needs? There's no room in your world for that if that's the way you live. And it beats you into helpless bondage where the only thing you can do is strive and the thing you can never do is stop. You can never be, you can never feel, you can never enjoy because there's too much to be done. Our mental health stuff, I believe, is a, is a prophet calling out saying, We have to turn from these destructive ways. We cannot continue. Within your own body are prophets saying to you, we can't live this way. We've got to return to our Maker. We've got to return to a better way. And when you hit that point where you're out of strength and you're out of will and you're out of vision and you're worn out, that's the place that God is saying, He can reveal the good way of Jesus to you. Verse 26, Jesus goes on. He says, Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And this is the gracious design of the way of Jesus. It says to the seemingly wise and strong 
I'm going to hide the good news from you until you finally see the truth that it's unfair to expect yourself to be perfectly strong, perfectly in control, perfectly wise, and perfectly independent. I'm going to graciously withhold the way of Jesus till you can see it. And then to those who the world calls weak, He says, your honesty is your strength. Your humility is your righteousness. Your need is your power. And your insufficiency is the door to my all-sufficiency. Is that good news? It's relief. It's relief to hear that good news when you see yourself as tired and broken and worn out. And God is saying it's His gracious design that you would finally come to a place where you can see that and accept that because He's not going to leave you there. The message of the Bible is that He uses the weak endowed by grace to outperform the strong and the foolish and to shame the wise. That's what the Gospel proclaims. Is that I'll so fill you with grace that you'll live a different way, do things a different way, and you'll outpace ultimately and eternally the striving of the world around you. And the proof will be in your life that the way of Jesus works. But here's the thing. And I, I feel this because I sit with people all the time. The way of Jesus is risky. It's risky because it's saying you've got to lay down the tools of your striving. You've got to do less. You've got to trust more. You've got to make room for silence where you feel more. Doesn't that feel risky when you're striving to just keep your head above water? And so what we need, I think, is some assurances to go, look, if I'm going to be disarmed, so to speak, because the way of Jesus requires that, if I'm going to lower my defense mechanisms, if I'm going to relinquish control and have less activity, I need some assurances that you're going to be who you say you are. So I think the next question we have to ask is, how can we be so sure that Jesus is worth that risk? How can we be sure He truly does speak for God and is powerful enough to do what we need Him to do? Because our families are counting on this. We need to see some receipts before we put this level of trust in Him especially when there are other options available in this world that we can consider. So this is what Jesus then says next in verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. So here's the claim of Jesus. All things have been given over to me. By who? By God the Good Father. So what we see in Jesus is there's this intimate relational connection between the Father and the Son, a sharing of love, but we also see a sharing of power and authority. And what Jesus is explaining to the world is that this is why He's able to do the mighty works that He's been doing. All the healings. All the redemption. That Jesus isn't just a man 
endowed with power, or a prophet gifted to teach, or a holy man or a shaman who can chase away demons. No, this is what Jesus is saying. No one knows the Son except the Father. That Jesus has the status, not only of having all the power of God, but He has the status of God. And this is the heart of the Nicene Creed. There's no one else in Jesus' category but the rest of God. God the Father and God the Spirit. So yes, He's been given God's power. That's why we hear the early church use language like Jesus was begotten of the Father. But He is not a subordinate within the Godhead. So Jesus is of the same nature with the Father, And that's why the creed says, begotten of the Father, but begotten not made of one being with the Father. One of the early church, or sorry, the Nicene bishops that helped create that creed puts it like this. There's nothing in the Son beyond the Father and nothing in the Father beyond the Son. What's the point of all this? Jesus is providing His receipts to say, you can put a whole life level of trust in Me because not only do I have the power of God, I am God. And I'm God come to you in flesh. I'm not just a good teacher. I'm not just a system that you follow or an organization that you decide to be a part of. I am the creator of the universe. I am that I am. I am everything. And I have all power within my control, which means I'm the only person ever to warrant your full trust. You see it? A romantic partner does not warrant this level of trust. A friend does not warrant this level of trust. A job does not warrant this level of trust. Nothing deserves your full trust but Jesus Himself. That's the point. He's saying nobody else deserves this from you. And don't we live in that constant state of seeing it for fleeting moments going, ah, I put too much of my heart into this thing and it failed me. I trusted in this too much and it failed me. Even churches that bear His name are not Him. It has to be Him and Him only. And then He goes on to say, and no one knows the Father except the Son. So when we think of the grandness of God and the loftiness of God, if there's a Creator in the universe, how can we possibly know what He's like and what His way is, and what His will is, and what His wisdom is, Jesus is saying, I'm the only way to know that at a cosmic level. Nothing else will give you that level of clarity or security. Nobody else can claim that level of ultimate truth. And so this is why when people are like, oh, I like Jesus. You know, He kind of fits into my spiritual mosaic of things that I piece together. I'm a little bit of Buddhist, I'm a little bit of Christian, I'm a little bit of this, and I'm a little bit of that. Why it's so inappropriate to say that is because 
Jesus says he's not like that. Jesus says he is singular. And so you can't say, you can't adopt Jesus while cutting off all of these things he says about himself. Which is very counter-island culture. Because Jesus is making authoritative statements about himself. He's saying he's the one and only. And that he's not only the only way of knowing God, he's the only way of true salvation. And he's the only way of knowing those two things. So no prophet, no priest, no shaman, no seer or medium can show you what you need to know about the nature of God like Jesus can. So, how do we get in on this? Jesus says, the only way to get on this is for Him to reveal it to you. No one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So it has to be Jesus who chooses that. And it's Jesus who's going to See the way your life is functioning. See where you're at. And know whether or not you're ready for that. Which is kind of crazy to think about that. So all the circumstances that you're going through, God and His sovereignty is letting you feel them in each stage in order that you would be ready to see Jesus rightly and fully. Because who does God want to reveal the Son to? To the children. Not the wise, not the learned, not the self-sufficient. To the person who's ready to see their need for it. And to the person who does not believe in Jesus, I would ask, is your heart authentically open yet to revelation? Are you ready to see Him? Are you ready to see the truth of your life and that He truly is the only way and the only fulfillment and the thing you've been longing for all this time. But it's not piecemeal. It's not a little bit of Jesus. It's all Jesus. And what He would say is, all me or nothing. And it's a profound statement. What I think this gives us though in Jesus' come-to-me invitation is actually some needed simplicity. Like I, I think about the person who's going through like physical sickness. When you live in BC and you live on the island, what do you have to do to get the help you need? You've got to find a doctor who will take you, which is super easy, right? Right? So hard, so unlikely. Years of waiting list stuff. Then once you get to that doctor which I won't even talk about the fact that we have to go through a a telecom company to get a doctor. If that isn't dystopian, I don't know what is. So we've got to find a doctor and we've got to get to them. And then that doctor has to get us to a specialist. And that specialist has to get us to this. And then we get in the waitingness and we've got to wait months and months and months and months and months for all the health you need. And all the while, you're Googling stuff. I've got to find a solution for myself, right? And then you're on TikTok and you're going, maybe if I do the carnivore diet, that'll fix this. 
And then, so you're weighing all the thousands of options that are out there to go, I've got to piecemeal all of these things together to try and find a solution to this one problem that I don't even know what it is and I can't get to the root. How fun does that feel? And that's one issue. It's one thing. Then what about finances? Your finances are a mess and you've got to figure out what's wisdom here. What does that look like? And you've got to find all that. And you've got to bring it all the way down and make it a decision to follow that plan. And then you've got to fix the fact that inside of you, you don't want to follow that freaking plan. Right? And that's just finances. But then parenting. Let's talk about parenting. How do we parent rightly? What does soft parenting look like versus the parenting I grew up with? And which one should I choose? And what book should I read? And which author should I follow? And then I've got to enact it. And we've got to make a plan. Then we've got to do it. And then when I go to do it, guess what comes out of me? My dad. <laughs> what do I do about that? And that's just parenting. Let's talk about then our marriage or our friendships. You see, if we keep doing this to say we're gonna, we've got to figure out the solution and the path and the wisdom for every one of these individual areas, who's got time for that? Who's got energy for that? Who's got the ability to change themselves for that? Who's got the ability to change the people they live with to do that? Right? Is that tiring? And all the while, you're getting a fire hose of information every day. The amount of videos I've sent to my wife to be like, we should do the carnivore diet. We should have this vitamin. We should do this. We should go to bed at this time. We should wake up at this time. This is the workout we should do together. We should buy this so we can be healthier. We should sleep in this so we get on and on and on. My wife looks at it. She's like, Brian, I don't care. Because she's... A mom and a career and she's doing all this stuff. And I'm like, but this would fix it. It's exhausting. So here's the needed clarity that I think that we get with Jesus. Is He's saying, come to me because I'm the solution. Come to me because my singular way works for all of these areas. So if you devote yourself to me, your devotion to me is going to play a role in the breakthrough and the change in all of these other areas. And you don't have to worry so much about them if you're worrying about you and me. And it simplifies the world's noise to say, instead of a thousand, a million different options, I'm choosing Jesus. And I can feel the weight of the other options as soon as I start to choose them. Because now it's all about me, it's all about my ability, and it's all about my time, it's all about my significance, it's all about my ability to achieve it. And I can feel the yoke come on me as soon as I make that shift. But the main point Jesus is setting up here is before you hear about the rest and the relief you're going to receive from me, you've got to read my receipts and see that I'm the only one that can claim you. I am God. And I'm here. I am God and I have a way of salvation and I'm going to accomplish it for you. And I'm singular amongst the religions. I'm singular amongst, 
amongst all the different solutions that are on offer to you. Nobody has what I have because nobody is who I am. Because who I am is I am. That's the claim of Jesus. It's to go, not only can I do mighty works, but it's because of my nature. I am the creator of the universe. I am the God that you've been looking for. I am the clarity that you've wanted. I am the simplicity that you search after. I'm all things and everything, all at once, all me. That's the claim of Jesus. So the come to me invitation is a relief from having to figure it all out to just going, I just have to be with him. I don't have to figure it all out. I just have to be with him. And if I'm with him, I have everything else. Because he's going to figure that out. Is that good news? So when we go to the table then, that's our recommitment. That's our covenant. We're saying, I remember the covenant to go, you're my one. You're my only. And you can have all of me. Not just my heart, but my emotions. And my mind and my thinking and my body, and my actions, and my schedule, and my family, and my worries, and all of the questions I have, all of me, I'm funneling to you. Because you've given me all of you. And you are God. Amen?